0: We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Great to be with you. I'm so thankful to Warren and to Jonti for allowing me to be here. I actually live in Nelson, New Zealand with my Kiwi wife. They don't tell you this when you fall in love with a Kiwi girl and marry her that eventually you're going to live in New Zealand. Um, But we lived in the United States for 17 years and um, started living here just before Christmas 2018. And uh, I'm super pleased to be calling New Zealand home. So kia ora, thanks for having me. But I, I don't know. I, I mean, the band did a great job with that first song, but just one song. Okay. Well, well I've got a guitar. Should we do another song? Can we do? An, all right, all right, all right. Let's do another song. This this wire is going to be a problem. Here we go. Um, gee, we haven't. Oh, don't, we haven't got any words for this on the screen for this. But I'll. I think I've got an idea. There's a, I've got an idea for a song we could do without words on the screen. Would you stand with me? This is an old song that maybe some of you know, maybe some of you don't, but it goes,
1: Soon and very soon, we are
0: going to see... Is it, ha, ha, raise your hand if you know that one. All right, if you don't know it, you're going to know it really soon because it's very simple. It just says, Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. The same line three times. Then we sing, Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. All right? Can we try it together? And it works really well with a hand clap, but on the two and the four, Alright, Not the one and the three, in my opinion. And if anyone knows where that is,
1: please lead the crowd. Clap, clap. Soon and very soon, here we go. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going. And very soon We are going to see the King Hallelujah, hallelujah We're going to see the King This verse is No more crying there And the rest is the same No more crying there We are going to see the King No more crying there We are going to see the King Come on man, sing it No more crying there We are going to see the King Hallelujah, hallelujah We're going to see the King We should all be able to sing this, right? It's pretty straightforward I see a few resistant people That's okay, I get it But hey, why don't you join the choir? We're going to sing No More Dying There No More Dying There We are going to see the King No More Dying There We are going to see the King no more dying there. We are going to see the King. Lift your voice. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the King. I'm hearing some passion building in the room. I love it. We're going to sing the verse one again, but I'm going to stop playing my guitar and get off the microphone. And if you're not singing, this will train wreck. This will be a tragic failure. We're going to sing soon and very soon. Lift your voice. Soon. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the... Sing hallelujah again. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King. One more time. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King.
0: That was awkward applause, wasn't it? Because... I think the reason was because we were like, do we clap the Australian or are we clapping God? Or was that this is not a concert. What's going on here? Yeah, Yeah, I'd like to think. Um, Yeah, I think it was awkward applause because we didn't really realise that I was trying to invite you to join a band with me. I'm not interested in doing a concert for you, but I was trying to get you to join a band and recognise God as the audience, not you guys. And I feel like if we were clapping God... There should have been a few woo-hoos, right? So
1: let's do the ending again. Hallelujah. Two, three. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King. Oh, yeah, God. All right, take a seat. Fun, right?
0: Yeah soon and very soon we are going to see the king hallelujah we're going to see the king what's that song about this is not a rhetorical question you can yell out your answer if you want what's that song about it could be the second coming but i actually think it's not quite that not quite because this song is actually written in the style of slave songs It actually came out in 1971. Andre Crouch, if anyone remembers. I'm old enough to remember. But it's written in the style of songs that were sung by illiterate slaves in the United States. People who'd been torn away from their homes, homes usually on the western side of Africa, and endured hardship, oppression of the level that you and I can only imagine. We can't comprehend the toughness of their life. But they often created songs and sang together, songs like Soon and Very Soon. What do we think the song is about? I don't think it's about the second coming. I think it's about when we're dead. I've got some images to share that are from that era of history, that tragic, dark era of history. Between the 16th century and up to 1860, People were torn away from their homes and lived in this horrible life. And, uh, but often out in the cotton fields or wherever they happened to be working, people would sing these songs. And their hope was not in today. Their hope was not in tomorrow or next year or their future. Their hope was solely in Jesus Christ and eternity with him. Maybe not solely. They're human, right? much more than us today soon and very soon we're gonna see the king not today not tomorrow life is hell for me right now but I have a hope for eternity in Christ and there's gonna be no more crying there but there's crying here there's gonna be no more dying there but there's dying here in fact I've got a pretty scratchy photograph of the One of the plantation slave singers, a drawing from 1800 and something. Think about some of these songs. You might know some of these songs. Swing low, sweet chariot. Well, that's a reference to Elijah's ascent into heaven. I'm going to think maybe one day I'm going to be scooped up like Elijah and be in heaven where there's no more crying, no more death, no more disease, no more slavery. Or what about Michael rode the boat ashore? Now, the Jordan River that we're rowing over is a reference to passing from this human life to eternal life. A metaphor from the Jordan River. He's got the whole world in his hands. This is a reminder that even though things are really, really bad for me, I have to remind myself that God has got the whole world in his, in his hands. It's, a, it's amazing to me that black deported, ripped away from Africa people, heard the gospel, heard the Bible stories and they came to faith in Christ despite the treatment of their oppressors. And they resonated especially deeply with stories like Moses and the Exodus and the children of Israel under slavery from the Egyptians and Daniel under the slavery of the Babylonians and they sang songs about that. And what about Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen? Do we know the trouble that they saw? I've got a feeling that people singing with such a tough life, placing their faith in eternity, sang with a lot more passion than we do. A lot more passion than we do. There's a recurring theme. Hope in eternity, not a, not a hope in the things of this earth. But you know, let's be honest here, we don't sing like that, do we? You see, it's very easy for us to to get distracted and think, yes, I've got some hope in eternity, but I've also got hope in my job and my comfortable life and my nice house and my dot, dot, dot. You with me? We can so easily place some of our hope in the things of this earth. Don't worry, I'm right there with you. Placing hope in the things of this earth and not entirely. In Jesus. But I tell you who does sing better than us in the Christian church, and this is just based on my observations. They've got no scientific proof of this, but soccer crowds sing better than, than the Christian church. Billy Eilish's crowds sing better than the Christian church. The most amazing, overwhelming congregational singing I've heard as far as sheer volume and passion goes was Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill Tour 1995 in Melbourne. So passionate, but I tell you what, those those are examples of big crowd singing a lot. But you know the most overwhelming experiences I've had of a group of people singing, placing their hope in eternity, are not some of the mega churches in America, in America that I've been to. Not any of the churches I've been to in Australia, and New Zealand, but I have burned into my memory singing songs that worship god with 300 orphans in Shanghai, thailand kids with no parents singing the roof off passion and hope placed in christ in rwanda i met about eight women who they all had aids infected by unfaithful husbands who had died and they sang they were singing Kenya Rwandan. I didn't know the words, but they shone with this overwhelming, I am placing my hope in eternity, not right now. I wish we could learn from that. I've sung with children in the slums of Johannesburg. It seems to me that people with nothing have an advantage over us. Their faith grows. And we have much to learn from them. I've also heard some pretty incredible and sense something different in the room when the black church in America sings compared to the white church. See, the oppression that I talked about, that slavery, oppression's not over. Oppression is still happening. In fact, we are told that there are more people in slavery today than at any point in human history. And oppression happens in New Zealand. People, because of what? Because of their skin colour, because of their status in life, because of their economic situation, because of something else. Many would say oppression is still alive and well in this country. But I don't want to derail us. So I've been asked to speak, thank you Warren, thank you Johnce. This morning about the importance and value of congregational singing. It's one of my favorite topics, can you tell? But I want to address the elephant in the room. I want to speak to you for a moment about the word worship. I have not been here, I've been asked here to talk to you about worship. That's not the wording that was used. And I'm pleased, but I need to address this. You see, the word worship in 2021 is very often he- heard as either an adjective a noun, or a verb. Are you with me? So an adjective example would be like worship band, worship song, worship service. worship. Are you with me? And that's how we most commonly hear it, as an adjective. And then probably the second most common we hear it as is a noun, like worship is an event. It starts at 10. All right? You've heard that? Thinking of it as a noun. And then sometimes we hear it as a verb. Let's worship God together. Can I point something out to you? The word worship is never, ever used in the Bible as an adjective. That's a human construct from the last about 40 years. I think if we really want to know what it means to worship God, we need to stop thinking of it as an adjective. Because, folks, this act of singing songs together that I'm passionate about and I want to speak to you about this morning, it's not a genre of music you know, like, that makes it something special. Worship is not a genre of music. It's not a type of artist. It's not what happens at 10 o'clock in this room. You can find the word worship in the Bible as a noun. But it's only ever the noun. It's not like an event or the thing that we do. It's actually, it's it's a description of the verb. It's using the the verb as a noun. People worship God. I'm going to show an example of that in a moment. But if we want to swim more deeply into the mystery of what it means to be a worshipper... We should think of the word worship as a verb, a doing word, an activity. It's an engagement. It's something that we do or we don't do. So I'm not here to speak to you about worship per se. This is what I want to say to you. Gathering together on a Sunday morning like this is an imperative, important expression of worship. We need each other. And I'm here to elevate the importance of the singing that we do within that gathering these are important expressions of worship but remember that romans 12:1 tells us therefore brothers and sisters it's all of us in view of god's great mercy offer yourselves as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god and let that be your spiritual act of what is it say it again of right offer yourself as a living sacrifice whoa that's My whole life surrendered. That's the way God wants me to worship him. Consider this one in John 4, 24. God is spirit and those who, what? Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The worship of God cannot fit into an hour and a half on Sunday morning. The worship of God is a full life response. And the opportunity to worship God is 24-7, 365 and 366 on a leap year. In fact, I think I skipped over John T. there. In, it's interesting to me that the, the word worship originally in our English language, just three or three hundred years ago, the word worship didn't exist like that. It was worth ship. And it was only ever a verb. We worship God by gathering. We worship God by singing together. But the worship of God must continue as the songs fade and we leave the auditorium. We need to show the worth of God, ascribe value to God. By how I keep my marriage vow, by how I raise my children, by how I conduct business. Every moment of every day, God, how do I worship you now? And I think it's only in the context of a life surrendered in worship, only in the context of offering yourselves as a living sacrifice, only in the context of being a worshiper in spirit and in truth, that this gathering takes its proper value. And that the singing within this gathering takes correct focus. This expression of worship must be woven into the fabric of a life surrendered in worship. Can I hear an amen? And may I apologize to you as a professional musician for most of my career. I am desperately sorry. I am so sorry. I helped create some of the confusion. When I let them call me a worship leader and a worship musician and the songs worship songs. In Nashville, where I lived for 17 years, worship is an industry term. There's CCM and there's worship. And if we surround this important term with a cloud of half-thought-out words, we will never swim more deeply into the clarity of what it means to be a worshiper. So there's four important points I need to make to you about this before we can move ahead. Number one, our Christian culture misuses and overuses the word worship, okay? Do you agree with that? To our peril, I believe, but that's another sermon. We overuse and misuse the word worship, keep that in mind. Number two, only God can measure how worshipful worship is. So all this stuff we hear about, oh, worship at C3 is really good, and oh, I didn't like the worship at that church. I'm going to go to a different church where the worship better. Oh, they their worship is really kind of like plain and flat, and no one's really excited about. But worship over here is really. Good. You hear our language? Do you think we can hold the worship of God in our hand and assess its value? We're humans. We can't see the heart of a person. God assesses the worshipfulness of worship. Number three, the thing I next want to point out is the opportunity to worship God is 24-7, 365, and 366 on a leap year, as I said before, okay? So it's not that worship switch on at 10, it's not the worship switch on when we start singing, but it changes flavor, it changes style, and it changes the way we might experience that, okay? That's what changes. And that's what I want to talk about in a moment, but we've got to keep these things in mind. And number four, gathered and sung worship should become more, not less important when we realise number one, two, and three. And some people, and I've spoken to them, oh, yeah, I've realised that uh, worship's not the gathering, it's not the singing, so I don't go to church anymore. Oh, yeah, I'm worshipped when I brush my teeth. (laughs) No, that's not the message of this morning. This gathering and what we do with music is more important, not less when we, when we realize this, all right? So now let's talk about music. We've moved away from worship. So where does music fit into this worship? Well, again, I'm going to suggest we think of music not as a noun and not as an adjective, but as a verb. In fact, this, I find this really helpful. Think about this word that, I'm, like Shakespeare did it, I'm going to do it. Make up a word, musicking, all right? And it's not an original makeup from Grant Norswick. This actually comes from a book called Musicking, The Meaning of Performing and Listening by Christopher Small. You see, we often think of music as being a thing, right? But the way we experience music changes very, very much from the context we're in, right? So you think about music that's background music. You know, maybe you're playing a video game and there's a song in the background while you're playing Mario Karts or something. You're not really engaged in this, it just sort of adds to the vibe. Maybe you're in a shopping mall or, or maybe you're, I don't know, whatever you're, you're in an elevator and there's music in the background. Maybe you're washing dishes, you've got music washing dishes or driving your car, there's music. You're not really engaging with it, but it's still there. And so that verb of listening, and engaging with that music is about this big. All right? But then, if you really listen to music, and are there any fans of music in the room, by the way? Like, if you love music, I know Toby loves music. Like, I love his Led Zeppelin. No, it's Metallica this morning, isn't it, Toby, wherever you are? Yeah, rocking, man. You really set aside all the distractions. For me, put on headphones and really listen to music. And my best chance to listen to music is often driving. So I'm still doing two things at once or mowing the lawn. Uh, I don't often get a chance to just go, I am going to listen to music. But that's a very different experience to having it just on the background, isn't it? Now I'm going to suggest, so that's musicking, the verb, that this, this engagement, this activity with music, Musicing. all right? But I'm going to suggest that if you actually make music, it's even deeper than listening to it, which is deeper than having it on in the background, all right? Toby nod for me, right? You make music, something special, and I would even say you make your own music, you create something original, that's even better than playing a cover version, right? There's something about this activity of music that's getting deeper and deeper. And I would say that making music on my own, while that is a deep... And I'm going to start saying a spiritual experience for me. Like, I'm being creative here, and I'm trying to show the worth of the creator, of all creativity. And there's something that's way deeper and more spiritual for me. Making the music myself, musicking. And then it goes to another level when I do it with other people, right? Right? I'm in a band now, (gasps) it's even more fun. And I have found that the music I wanna listen to is actually quite narrow. But the music I'm prepared to make with other people is actually really quite wide, are you with me? And, And there's still this depth. I don't have to like listening to the music to really enjoy making music, right? Then I have found that the most fun, actually the second most fun I can do, is use music to get all you guys to join the band. And we make, it seems to me that the bigger the crowd, like the, like the more we're all realising we're in the band to musicking together, it's getting even deeper and richer and more spiritual. But the ultimate of this is when we realise God through this music. Can you see the concentric circles? Background music, me listening me making, me making with a band, me inviting a congregation, God. That's where it's deepest. Musicking with God. Musicking with God. Now I realize I'm in the land of the tall poppy. But I'm gonna tell you something. I've played in front of 70,000 people. Playing my bass guitar. In one of the bands I used to be in. 70,000 people. That's what the press release said. It might have been less than that. I don't know. But that's what the press release said. It wasn't my concert. It was part of a festival called Creation East. People as far as I could see. But you know what I realised? God made all those people. God made the hillsides they were sitting on. God made the sunshine they were bathed in. God made the clouds that were... Our umbrella. He's more awesome than seventy thousand people. Musicking with God. That's where it's at. And so, when we have a band on this platform, like we have this morning, it's very easy for us to limit the musicking, isn't it? Oh, they're doing their best. Mm. Not a bad cover band. Don't want you to listen to us. Will you join the band? Music with us, sing with us. It's deeper, it's richer, and maybe as we sing together, humanity and divinity may touch. As we sing these words that are prayers to God, declarations of truth about God, reminders of truth praising God with one voice together. I don't know what it's like for you but for me and it doesn't happen every time but for me it's like God chooses that moment to put healing oil on the rusty hinges of the gates of my heart and those gates swing a little wider than they were before and I can taste a little bit more of who God is and his love for me and the worth of Jesus his life his death and his resurrection and that might stay with me as I leave and on Wednesday when the rubber really hits the road of life I might remember that love and that grace so let's sing yeah yeah to plow through this really really quickly I'm going to show you my top 10 reasons why we sing and I won't have time to explain them all and if you came to the workshop I did with the musicians a little while ago you'll have seen this before but these are my top 10 you see here's the thing I really can't say hey come on everybody try harder sing more come on sing more sing more take this seriously that's trying to tell you what to do and how to do it but you first got to know why Got to let the what and the how flow out of the why. Yes, it's an expression of the worth of God. Absolutely. But here's my top 10 reasons for actually gathering together like this and singing together. Number 10, tradition. Followers of Jesus have been singing together for 2,000 years. Let's continue, shall we? It's a pretty good reason, right? Why stop now? Hey, I believe that the Christian church is singing less now than at any point in our history. And this morning we've done something that most churches around the world can't do because of COVID. I've got friends in the United States who they've had like almost a year of lockdown, a year of not being able to gather, or a year of being able to gather but only five yards between each person with a mask on. You think people separated by five yards with a mask on are singing? No. So tradition. Number two, creativity, art theme. Hey, I'm not going to unpack this far, but you can write a song and sing a song about being angry or a romantic lover wanting to dance all night or dance all night. But surely this is a better thing to sing about. God loves us and he died for us. He rose from the dead. Hallelujah. All right. Hallelujah, by the way, is an ancient Hebrew word that simply means praise God. All right, that's number nine. Number eight, modelling church. This is, even if you don't like the songs, even if the band's not quite the way you'd like to hear it, if you just join that band anyway, It's not about what I like. It's about me being a small part of something way bigger than myself. C3, St. Martin, sing together and therefore model to each other this idea of it's not about what I want. It's about being part of a team that wants to worship God in spirit and in truth as living sacrifices. So I'm going to sing anyway. Are you with me? All right. Number seven, preparing hearts and minds. I'd like to think that when we sing together, It can prepare us for the Bible reading, for what's coming next, for the sermon. It can soften us and make us more ready to receive from God. But, number six, there's something about the music itself that's beyond our five senses, beyond our three dimensions. For me, when we sing, it can be like the barrier between God and people got thinner. That's what I've found. Not every time, but that's what I believe is true. Number five, from information to intimacy. Listen to this. Information. There is a God, all-powerful, all-knowing. He loves you. He died for you. He rose from the dead. Live differently. Some pretty cold, overwhelming information there, right? But if you take that same information and craft it with a great melody, with a rhyme, and you accompany that melody really well, like it makes a difference if the drums are with sticks or with brushes or with hot rods to me because it'll help us taste heaven through the song. Am I wrong? I don't think so. And not everyone feels it like that. That's okay. Not everyone's wired like this. It's okay, but I do. And I think it makes a difference to a lot of us. Yeah? Number four, horizontal connection. A group of people who sing together get along with each other better. And we can encourage each other in our faith walk by singing. You know, the, the single thing that will encourage my quintessential non-singer, Joe the Plumber, who sits in the back row with his arms folded, to sing is not how good I am or how good the band is or whether I chose the right song. The single thing that helps Joe sing more than anything else is that he is surrounded by other people who are singing. Your role is an imperative here. Number three, vertical connection. We've spoken about that. There's something that happens vertically between God and us. And I'm going to leave number two out for a moment and go straight to number one. I think we should be singing together worshipfully to God because he's God and he deserves to be the object of what we sing about. I've left number two out. Why? What's number two? Anyone want to guess what number two is? If you were at the workshop a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, please don't answer. What's number two? Is that a hand up? No, it's a stretch. Here's a hand up. Bigger voice, please. Can someone start with a big. Again? That's all part of it, but there's actually something else that I'm going to jump straight to because the Bible tells us to do this, folks. The written word of God. I believe, I'm sure you believe, I know Warren and Jonty believe that God speaks to us through this written text. Am I right? Okay, so we're going to plow through some verses in a moment, but here's essentially what we're looking for is this vertical and horizontal connection that we believe happens in a particular way when we sing together. Now, vertical and horizontal connection can happen in other ways. I sense a deep connection with God when I'm looking at the ocean. Uh, Eric Little, the Olympic runner from the 30s, said he felt God's presence when he ran. My orthopedic surgeon brother says he feels closest to God when he's operating on a knee. I, who am I to say he's wrong? Right Music may not resonate with you like it maybe does for me. That's OK. But maybe swim there a little deeper anyway, you know? I'm going to plow through these verses. Look at this. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. There's a command. And I'm going to highlight the horizontal, one another. See that? It's not just your personal connection with God that we want as a reason to sing. It's because we can encourage one another. And here's the vertical in Colossians 3.16. To God. Well done, Jaunty. Ephesians 5.19 says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Here's the horizontal in case you missed it. Speak to one another. See that? And it's got the vertical in it as well. Speak to one another. And right at the end, to the Lord. Oh, it's horizontal and vertical. Okay? And one more Old Testament verse. Psalm 108 verse 1 says, My heart, O God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music with all my heart. And I think we've been less than with all our hearts, haven't we? Notice this. None of those verses use the word worship. There is a Bible verse in Daniel chapter 4, by the way, that uses the word worship. It's when one of King Nebuchadnezzar's leaders said to the children of Israel who are in slavery, when you hear the music, worship the idol going to quickly show you an xyz graph can you imagine this xyz graph sort of three-dimensional right now i've had a wonderful opportunity to travel around the world and experience the musical expression of worship with many different churches different flavors different styles different denominations different cultures different skin colors everything and this is what i've come up with this is this is a grant knows thing that really helps me i think all of us can can be plotted on this graph With regard to music, it might be an individual who can plot on this graph or it might be the whole C3 congregation. You might work this out. Where do you fall on this graph? That x-axis, on one end of that, there is this sing-correct theology. Some people, the main idea of the music they sing together is to teach their congregation correct theology. That tends to be songs that are written, either they are old hymns or they're like old hymns. Lots of words, rich poetry. But on the other end of that spectrum, there's sing-it-to-you-feel-it people which often ends up being simpler, repeated refrains. We might sing Jesus, Jesus, Jesus over for 15 minutes. And some people prefer that, but some people would be like, no, I don't want to do that. Are you with me? All right. To me, it's a both and, not an either or. I love singing rich, wordy songs, and I love singing simple refrains over and over again. And some people think the sing it till you feel it is a Pentecostal thing. It's not. It comes from the slaves. Soon and very soon. Soon and very soon. All right, what about the Y-axis? Some people love singing new songs. You guess the other end of it? Some people love singing old songs, continuing the tradition. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Right? Some people like singing in a way that reinforces their individual, personal relationship with God. A lot more, I, God, you, God, I, you, God. Other people would rather look at the congregational or the corporate aspect. We, we together declare this truth. We remind each other of this truth. Can I tell you something? Everyone on that graph, no matter where they are, consider themselves to be worshipping God and they all consider themselves to be spirit-led. Some experience it with feelings, some less so. It's not my job to measure the worshipfulness of somebody or a congregation. It's not yours either. But we are free to be C three St Martins and use music the way we want to, to bring about the outcomes we believe God is leading us to. Right, at Warren, but don't for a moment think that the Presbyterians down the road aren't worshiping properly. Are you with me? We don't know. We would like them to taste something that we've experienced, that they would feel the same way about us. So maybe we can turn the volume down on these silly peripheral differences. And turn the volume up on Jesus, who unifies us. And respect the diversity. Respect the diversity. I've got a photograph of my son, Max, when he's about four years old. He's 14 now, so this is a pretty old photograph. One of my favourite things to do with Max is to sit down with him, build Duplo of letters and numbers, and we would sing songs from a band called They Might Be Giants together. So he loved "They Might be Giants," And I found that when I was trying to teach Max to count and to know the letters of the alphabet and know what the colors and the shapes were, it wasn't going very well, But then he heard the music of "They Might Be Giants." And he loved that music. He sang it, and we could without the TV on showing their, their videos, we could make some of these things and sing the songs together. So we'd sing the song about W, and we'd sing the song about D, and we'd sing the song about the letter Z and that number, which was Z, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um, and uh, that double is a number two. And then I held up to him my best attempt to use Duplo to, Duplo to make the letter O, to try and sing the letter O song. And I said, come on, Max, join in. And he wouldn't. He looked at me with that face and he said, Daddy, that is not an O, that's a hexagon. <laughs> Next, slide. Next slide, John. Yeah, and he's right. There are people in this room right now where we're hearing the information about god and we might even say i agree with the information about god but there is not this intimacy with god when those slaves sang their songs do you think the singing just bubbled out of a faith that you already had or did singing drag their pained hearts towards deeper faith both If you want to swim more deeply into intimacy with God rather than just information about God sing sing and see what happens and not many of us consider ourselves to be good singers in 1996 as the band comes forward please i heard a song by an artist named Jeff Buckley i bought this album who was, who was not alive in 1996? All the people down the back there. 1996, I bought a CD. Kids, CD stands for compact disc. It's a little round piece of plastic, had about 12 songs on it. It comes from the time when musicians made a living. Anyway, I bought this disc. It's called Grace, Jeff Buckley. And it had this, I was listening to it, and track six grabbed me deeply does this ever happen to you guys maybe i'm weird but every i'm not talking about oh i like that i'm talking about once every three or four years a song just goes you know what i mean this happened to me with track six on jeff buckley's hallelujah simple arrangement just electric guitar and human voice and he sang a song called hallelujah uh, one of the words from our opening song when i first got up here that song that means praise god now jeff buckley doesn't claim to be a follower of jesus at all in fact he died tragically at age 30 in memphis drowned grace is the only studio album he studio album he put out now when i was listening to grace Sorry, when I was listening to Hallelujah, which I put on repeat and would listen to, I listened to it once 45 minutes, just over and over and over and over again. And it wasn't just his beautiful singing, it wasn't just the amazing chord changes. There's something about that song. And I realized that it was taking the 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 story of the songwriter and blending it together with the story of the person who I consider to be the, the most influential song lyricist of all time. King David from the Bible. And it took actually the most terrible, ugly part of his story, an affair with a married woman and the murder of her husband. And it took that tragic, dark story and wove it together with the songwriters. And and this is the message that I get from the song Hallelujah. And other people get another message. But this is what I got as I was listening to it 45 minutes over and over again. I got this thought. This person is singing. God, life is a mess. I've made mistakes. But I'm still going to sing hallelujah. I'm still going to say praise God. And you know what happened to that song? It's actually not written by Jeff Buckley, it's written by a guy named Leonard Cohen. And other people started hearing it. And now, get this people in the Christian church don't like that song. It's too honest. It's too edgy. It's got verses in it that talk about <gasps> sex. Well, but the Bible talks about sex, right? It's not sung in churches very often. But people outside the four walls of the Christian church love this song. Justin Timberlake covered it. Rufus Wainwright. John Cage. It showed up on the Shrek 2 soundtrack. No, Shrek 1 soundtrack. Katie Lang. You look on YouTube, it's one of the most covered songs of all time. Can I declare this to you, church? People outside of our Christian faith have no problem with the idea that there might be a God who deserves to be praised. They have a problem with us pretending we've got it all together. This song connects where our Christianese songs don't connect, I think, because the songwriter and the singer are being honest. I'm broken. I'm messed up but you are God and you deserve to be praised. I don't have it together. I don't have the answer, but I am following the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.